On the record. On News Talk. With Penergy. Supplying energy with insight to forward thinking Irish businesses. Imagine for a moment that you find yourself in the private library of William Ewart Gladstone, the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland, and you go leafing through his shelves and you find a signed copy of a literary masterpiece written by an Irishman. You probably wonder, who's the Irishman? Well, you might think James Joyce, but then you realise, no, Joyce came along a few years after Gladstone, so it's not him. Is it George Bernard Shaw? No, because he was a young man when Gladstone was in power. It's Bram Stoker who signed a copy of Dracula for the then PM at a time that he was hoping Ireland could actually be allowed to determine its own affairs and that Gladstone might be the man to do it. Now, of course, it's the time of year where there's an awful lot of focus on Stoker's work and it's a book that we all know a little bit about. But what we might not realise is that the book Dracula that we hear so much about at this time of year might actually be drawing fairly heavily on his own mother's tales of how she dealt with a pandemic in the west of Ireland in the 19th century. And if that doesn't sound like the sort of thing that Donald Fallon could possibly explain for you, then I don't know what is. Donald, good afternoon. How are you keeping? More pandemic hidden histories. Yeah, and, and, and more to being back on Skype, unfortunately, for the foreseeable. But nonetheless, delighted to have your time again this Sunday, as always. Uh, Dracula, quite fittingly, here to stay. Yes, you know, as a, as a work of literature, just as it should be, uh, Count Dracula it refuses to die. You know, and he remains true to form. And this week, if you watch the Amazon book charts this week, the bestsellers chart, it will creep back in. Now, albeit far from, from the top of the charts, but he'll still be there. Every year, Halloween sales kind of boost Stoker's masterpiece once mm. more. And I think to us, it's worth saying at the beginning, Dracula, it's a book that can seem a little bit naff, you know, because of everything uh, it's yeah, spawned. Anything that's responsible end. for the Twilight Saga, basically, just a yeah. little, bit, little bit too much. <laughs> the endless big screen adaptations most of which were totally forgettable. Some, Bella Lugosi, absolutely, absolutely iconic and brilliant. But, you know, we are familiar with the name Dracula, you know, as children before that of its author. You know, Bram Stoker is, is more of a mystery than Dracula to us. Mm. But I think the book should only be judged entirely in and off its own time. Yeah, but it's, I suppose it's kind of understandable that the, the book is more familiar than its author. But we are talking about the author today. And I think it's it was probably true up until a couple of years ago since we started having the festivals in Dublin. Most people probably didn't even realise that Bram Stoker was an Irishman to begin with. Absolutely. And it is important to say when it comes to Stoker, he didn't invent horror fiction. You know, even in an Irish context, you had brilliant writers before him. Uh, Sheridan Lafanu, who wrote a vampire story, Carmilla that predates Dracula by 26 years, which is remarkable, you know. But Stoker's book is the is the enduring one of, of the genre. And I think the reason that Dracula you know, has remained such a classic and people love to read it is the way in which it's written. It doesn't read like a 19th century text. It's very modern. You know, he used letters, he used diary entries, newspaper articles uh, within the narrative. And the opening line uh, is just so unlike what you would expect in this book. 3rd of May, Bistritz left Munich at 8.35 p.m. on 1st of May, arriving in Vienna early next morning. Should have arrived at 6.46 p.m., but the train was an hour late. So it's in the Victorian age. You know, yeah. people are travelling uh, by train. That, that's, you're, you're not reading their diaries. A, that's not the opening of a vampire novel, if you don't mind me saying so. Absolutely, it isn't. It, it, it's one of those great... I've, I've actually seen someone trip over this on that TV game show, The Chase, where they ask, what is this, the opening line of Dracula is one of the options and, and no one goes for it, you know? So it's a book that was very much set in the contemporary world of the late 1890s. And I think that might be on one level why it frightened people 
so much. Uh, that's remarkable that we've managed to get this long. We've, we've been doing Hidden Histories in this lot since I've took over the show about 18 months ago. First mention of the chase. Uh, there's a new time for everything, isn't yeah. there? Uh, Bram Stoker, <laughs> at least in the eyes of Victorian societies at the time, Bram Stoker was actually getting on a bit in years when he actually published Dracula, wasn't he? He was in his 50s. And even today, I think a, a writer publishing a book like that in their 50s would be a story. You know, he was in his 50s at the time Dracula was published, which is remarkable. And by that time, he kind of lived an interesting, an interesting enough life. And I think there's a tendency to view Stoker a little bit like his, his great contemporary, Oscar Wilde, as someone who might have been born in Ireland, but, you know, who really wasn't Irish. He was shaped mm, by the neighbouring yeah. island. Like we, we talked about Wilde recently, you know, they went to London, they worked in London, they published in London. But I think it's undeniable, really, that, that Stoker's sense of, of horror, normally we talk about a sense of humour, but Stoker's sense of horror <laughs> was nurtured at home, uh, by, especially in a, in a big way by, by his, mother, his mother, Charlotte. Yeah, and it's Charlotte's links to the west of Ireland, which you think actually can be brought to bear in the book, the fact that she was brought up in, in Sligo and that you think that upbringing kind of weighs fairly heavily on him. Stoker, in, in, in his early years, is at home a lot. He's young, he's sickly, he's, he's in bed. And his mother kind of regales him with kind of stories. And this is standard enough fair, you know, as you would know well, parents tell children stories uh, in bed. But this wasn't just like, you know, folklore and, and, and mythology and, and nice, happy fairy tales. Stoker's mother taught that, you know, fitting tales to tell a young sick boy in bed were her memories of the cholera epidemic of 1832. <laughs> it's like, I'm not trying that one so later on when I get this, home. I'm going to stick to the gruffalo if that's yeah, all right. Oh God, the, the stories children will hear in 50 years of, of, of what we've been through. But I mean, this is just how she regales her child in, in, in bed. And she later writes this kind of brilliant account of the, the cholera epidemic. And when you read it, it's so brilliantly written. Just the, the, the language that she, she uses. For me, it actually nearly recalls the early months of this year. She talks about the fear of this thing, how it was creeping across the world. Gradually, the terror grew on us as time by time we heard of it nearer and nearer. It was in France, it was in Germany, it was in England. And with wild fright, we began to hear a whisper pass that it was here in Ireland. And she talks about the streets just emptying during the cholera uh, pandemic. She has this wonderful line about, about Sligo Town. Within a few days, the town became like a city of the dead. But her account of Sligo is shocking, you know, and, and I think that horror had a really profound impact on the mind of, of, of young Stoker. Yeah. So you have this, you know, upper middle class, Trinity College educated from the Protestant minority, a civil servant in Dublin Castle where his father had been. And on paper, it's kind of hard to look at that man and say, how did this guy of all people write Dracula? But I think when you look at that, the early influence of his mother and the, the, the horror of those stories she told him from Sligo, I think that is the formative influence perhaps. Yeah, uh, remarkable stuff because you'd never think of that kind of impact being there but evidently when you tease out the theme it's definitely there to be seen one way or another. Uh, There's also some who wonder and this goes back to the whole point about Gladstone uh, people wonder if there was actually something of a political point being made in Dracula the book. Yeah, Marion McGarry who's a real expert on on Stoker at Sligo has written of how many see Stoker's vampire as a metaphor for the absentee landlords of large estates uh, in Ireland. And I think, you know, what, what is clear is that there might be something in this because by the time he's writing Dracula Stoker is a, a, has a great political mind you know he's very much a home ruler in his own words he describes himself as a philosophical home ruler and he pops up in the British newspapers going to all these great kind of home rule meetings and and, and, and listening to listening to Gladstone pontificate so if there is something political hidden you know within the pages of Dracula it's definitely written at the time that, that he would have been doing that. You could read me that line, that, that Marion McGarry explanation again, the sort of the parallel that she reckons that there is in there. Read that for me she again. She says that many see Stoker's vampire as a metaphor for the absentee landlords of large estates in Ireland. Okay, so and that's... Dracula- 
And that's definitely not David McWilliams because that's that's absolutely the sort of analogy that he would draw for all of this, you know, wouldn't he? He would talk about, oh, well, actually, it's a it's a metaphor for the European Central Bank and the way in which they influence monetary policy. I, I like that someone got there before him, actually. That's brilliant. Um, so talk to me then more about Gladstone because, you know, unlike Dracula, uh, at least maybe Bram Stoker himself could, you know, he was trying to put home rule to death once and for all, if, if you don't mind me borrowing the analogy, yeah. and that he, he thought that Gladstone might actually be the man to do it. Many people in Ireland had great faith that Gladstone would be would be the man who'd finally answer the Irish question. And you know, the joke in British politics was that British prime ministers tried their best to answer the Irish question, and every time they did, the Irish changed the, the bloody question. But, you know, Stoker, <laughs> Stoker really had faith in this guy, and you know, he attended public talks by Gladstone. Sometimes Gladstone would speak for three or four hours, just amazing stuff uh, on the kind of home rule proposals for for Ireland. And he was so enamoured with the prime minister that he sends him a signed copy of Dracula. And it's that beautiful first edition of the book. It's red text on yellow, really stands out like a mustard yellow. And, you know, you have to wonder, one, did Gladstone read it? But two, did he identify any parallels, you know, in it with our, with our contemporary world as yeah. it was at the time? Yeah, did he see any parallels with the absentee landlords of large estates in the Western Ireland? I, I don't know. Well, that's what we might tease out some other Sunday in the middle of lockdown too again. <laughs> um, ultimately, that book you mentioned, the one with the mustard yellow with the red uh, print on the front, it was released to, to fairly mixed reviews. And indeed, there were some who already thought that the days of vampire fiction were already behind them. Yeah, opinion was sharply divided on it. And actually, in, in his native Ireland, it was it was largely ignored. But one of the reviews I really liked was, was the Manchester Guardian. They said that a writer who attempts in the 19th century to rehabilitate the ancient legend of the werewolf and the vampire has set himself a formidable task. Most of the delightful old superstitions of the past have an unhappy way of appearing limp and sickly in the glare of the latter day. And the reader must reluctantly acknowledge that the reign of horrors or the region of horrors has shifted its ground. So the kind of saying there, you know, in Victorian society, ah, look, this is a bit naff. And maybe the Guardian felt nothing could be more frightening than you know, the view outside your, your Mancunian window. Like at the time, <laughs> yeah. this just felt like 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 a, a throwback. But other people loved the work. And I think crucially, uh, like so many great works of literature, this was true of Ulysses too. I think that the, the brilliance of it was, was kind of recognised later uh, in time. And indeed, when Stoker himself was gone. Uh, we mentioned that Stoker, perhaps only more of late, is being re-celebrated and rediscovered as an Irishman, but he's always been uh, increasingly remembered, not only in Dublin, but also in Sligo. Yeah, Sligo have made a real land grab for uh, for, for Stoker, just as they have another great Dublin-born author, W.B. Yeats. But, you know, it, there's, they can do that because, of course, Yeats is buried in Sligo. Mm. And, you know, to many people, Sligo will always be Yeats' country. He drew such inspiration from that part of the world. But there is a plaque now in, in, in Sligo on the street where Stoker's mother uh, grew up. And it says her experiences of the great cholera epidemic in Sligo provided the inspiration for Stoker's great gothic novel, Dracula. Maybe it's a slight stretch. I would probably say you know, the inspiration should be changed to an inspiration. But it's still a great thing to see that he that he's remembered on, on, on the streets of Sligo via, via his mother. And you, you could argue in many ways he was more remembered and more celebrated in Sligo where you had the Sligo-Stoker Society uh, than he was in, in, in Dublin. Uh, and you mentioned Dublin, of course, next weekend. A slightly different mode this year, but next weekend we have the annual festival in his honour here in the capital. Yeah, correcting that wrong. Brilliant festival, the, the Bram Stoker Festival, the inimitable Nisha Nunn behind it. Uh, and it's it's a great idea. And thankfully, it's going digital, it's going online, and listeners needn't worry about you know, the horrors of poor Zoom connections. Something not even Bram Stoker's imagination <laughs> could, I wouldn't could dream of. I don't know. But the, the festival is kind of made up of loads of kind of beautiful pre-produced things. So short films, audio tours you can kind of download and walk around and listen to yourself, podcasts. So it, it's a really, really nice idea. And I'd encourage listeners, you know, in these days of level five, 
uh, get a copy of Dracula because I think it's the kind of book you'll comfortably have it read on time to enjoy next weekend's festivities. And I was reminded, digging for this slot, that during the Irish Times, when people, during the Rising, when, when people couldn't go outside, uh, the Irish Times told the readers to stay at home and read Shakespeare. So perhaps now is the time to stay at home and, and read Dracula. Yeah, maybe, it's a we, week that's in it. maybe we can channel some of the wisdom of old. Uh, Donald, as ever, uh, thanks so much for that really, really uh, entertaining rundown. And it's probably available not only in the Amazon book charts, I'm sure it's probably available on Project Gutenberg as well. So you can probably find it for free there. Uh, so worth checking out. Yeah, or, Donald, or, 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 ring, or ring the local bookshop. That's, that's what we should all be doing at absolutely. the moment and, and see if they've got a nice copy. Ring your local bookshop and see if you can organise a click and collect from them. Donald, as ever, thanks a million. Donald, Donald Fallon is the author of the Come Here To Me books and he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which you can find online. 